0: their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. I'm joined today via Skype for part two of the Sandro Forte podcast with a truly inspirational and wonderful woman. Terry Shodine is an entrepreneur, best selling author, and keynote speaker whose clients literally span the globe. She's one of those mind blowing people that start a business and go on to achieve phenomenal success. Terry started Shodine Communications in 1990, a public speaking, sales training, and consulting firm in California, which offers training and development to help professionals become the perfect presenter. She's now an award-winning member of the NSA Speaker Hall of Fame, and a regular keynote speaker, consults for the US House of Representatives on Capitol Hill, and appears on the Today Show, Bloomberg, CNN, CNBC, and more besides. And as I mentioned earlier, can't repeat this enough she is one of the nicest people on the planet and I'm very proud to call her a friend. Terry welcome back not many have been um been with us twice but since there was so much to cover and (laughs) since the work you do is so fascinating you're such a terrific person we had to hear more from you so welcome back to the Sandro Forte podcast.
1: Oh my goodness thank you Sandro so much no I'm honored and Quite frankly, I'm super excited to be able to do this part two uh, because it really will be a deeper dive for your listeners and give them some tactical and practical information that they can use immediately to change their results and their outcomes. So I'm I'm excited.
0: Oh, well, you just you just teed that up perfectly for me. We deliberately <laughs> we deliberately decided that part two was going to be some real takeaway stuff for. The listeners because often what we try to do in half an hour as you know from the podcast you have listened to yourself terry is that you know we don't really get the opportunity to find out much more than you know tell us about your background what you've learned along the way what we're going to be doing today is looking at a piece of research you've done with more than 2500 people over a long period of time i don't know how long but it's what 18 months two years something like that perfect yes absolutely and definitely your most ambitious project to date Uh, So the state of sales presentation, just tell us about what this is and why you decided to embark on such a uh, a lofty goal.
1: Right. So um, it's a great question. And and This study actually builds on my previous work in the area of sales presentations, and it digs deeper into kind of the art and science of crafting an effective message to move a transaction forward. So these new findings are not only relevant, but I really think they're forward thinking. But what's most important is that we gathered the data from business and sales professionals about business and sales professionals so it wasn't like we kind of gathered the data from a an academic institution with a bunch of you know students that were sitting in a hall room at you know Harvard uh, this came from people who were in the field every day who were doing their own self assessments their own self evaluations and then sharing with us the data that so that they could learn with each other and from each other. And that's what I think makes this content so meaty is because it really comes from the field operatives.
0: So just to put this into perspective for everyone, when we talk about sales presentations, not to dissuade people from listening here, because there are so many parallels with different things. We're going to explore some of these in our conversation today, Terry. Uh, So many parallels, so many uses of this information whether you know whether you be a presenter, whether you be in sales, or whether you be in any form of communication, whether it be interpersonal, uh, job interviews, and so on, I can think of lots and lots of different ways that people can use this this amazing information. So let's start with a quick overview of the key research findings, and I'm particularly interested to start with the original nine presentation mistakes because you and I go back a long way. So we. Sure. Uh, you know, today's, today's sales uh, professionals still making the original nine presentation mistakes. So let's start there. What do what they look and sound like?
1: Well, uh, really excited to start there. And I do want to comment on what you just said, because I believe you are spot on. Uh, I believe everybody sells something, whether it's a product or a service, a philosophy, an idea. Most importantly, when you're selling yourself in a job interview or for a promotion, everybody sells something. And it's really quite natural for people to have a little pushback or say, gosh, I don't want to feel salesy. But what I'm hoping is that for the next 30 minutes while we're on this call together, that the listeners will just have an open mind and think, okay, how can I take some of these ideas and apply them to my situation so that they will have a lot of value when they move forward? So with that being said, let's transition into, uh, you know, kind of how this work all came together. So believe it or not, all the way back in 2001, uh, I had done an informal study, uh, which asked this very simple question, you know, are there common mistakes that you have made that you feel have cost you the win or the deal or the opportunity? Like if you're really going to do a self-assessment and go, okay, if I was going to be honest with my, <laughs> what did I do that I could have changed that could have changed the outcomes? And so there were nine things. The first thing that people self-confessed is that they probably winged it. Like They, they kind of walked in, they used the wing it method. They really didn't plan ahead. The second thing that people self-confessed was that they were far too informative in nature rather than persuasive, that they kind of did a data dump, and that data dump became kind of long and extended, and as a result, maybe went off track and and didn't keep them uh, on the ideas or the the, uh, talking points that the other person was listening to. The third thing they self-confessed was that they misused the time, meaning that the The meeting, the visit, the interview, the appointment, the presentation was lopsided. and And this will be familiar. If you've ever been in a meeting where you spent so much time on the front end and then you realize you were running out of time so you start whooshing through the back end and you just kind of didn't hit all the points you wanted to cover, that would be an imbalance or a misuse of the allotted time. Another mistake people referenced was that they, realized that they probably didn't give enough support. So providing inadequate support evidence or stories to illustrate their ideas. Uh, Another one was failing to close the sale. For example, asking somebody to move forward, asking them to choose you. Uh, And and going back to your original opening, one of the things we learned from somebody who does a great deal of interviewing and hiring, when they asked somebody, why should we give you this job? Uh, or why should we? Why are you interested in this position? The number one answer was, well, because I really do need a job, and I—I <laughs> I don't think you're needing a job is a very good close, right? So uh, something to think about, even in an interview scenario. The next uh, mistake that people confessed was that they were boring, boring, boring. Uh, the next one was that they relied too much on visual aids or their PowerPoint deck. Uh, another confession was that they exhibited distracting gestures or body language. And then finally, uh, which I thought was really uh, revealing, no pun intended, is wearing inappropriate dress. So those were the original nine. And so the question became two decades later, it seemed fair to ask, are these still the most common mistakes that sales professionals are making? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And have time and technology helped us to alleviate and eliminate these issues are are things better or worse for today's presenters and their listeners? And you know, I think that ultimately, what we found eighteen months after completing this research is that the answers were really quite surprising.
0: Wow, I, I've got visions now of you sitting in a confessional box as people came up to you, use the word <laughs> self. I think it's great that people self-confess to being boring. Um, but you know what? Everything you've just said, I absolutely can. Uh, I, I can guarantee that everyone listening will associate with some or all of those points that you've just raised, Terry. So uh let's we're gonna look at those in a little bit more detail. Um let let me ask you, if there if there were three of, of that list that were kind of more popular in the self-confession stakes, um, what would you say they were?
1: Yeah, So great question. And what was really fascinating uh, was that the, we, we call them the big three, the the top three biggest mistakes that people self-confessed were actually the ones that are the most costly for either themselves or for their company or the organization that they're working with. So the number three mistake that most people confessed. And again, you have to remember, this is across uh generations so we we included the silent generation or what's called the uh, uh the part elements of the greatest generation but mostly the silent generation then the baby boomer generation our generation generation x and then of course millennials and gen y and across the board these were the top 3 also they were the top 3 regardless of gender both men and women uh self confessed that these were their big 3 and the other fascinating thing was that it also crossed, uh, all three major categories, meaning regardless of whether you sold a product or a service or a cause people in philanthropy who are selling their cause also self confess these, these three things. So number three, and by the way, uh, no particular order. Uh, number three was failing to close the sale, failing to ask somebody to make a decision as a result of the presentation. Number two, biggest mistake that people self confessed was that they were using the wing it method. They just kind of winged it. And the number one biggest mistake was that people confessed that they were far too informative in nature rather than persuasive. And you know the the pushback on this was, you know, I don't want to be hard sell but I do have an aha moment here. Like, There's gotta be a balance somewhere in between being overly informative and being hard sell. And I think that that's really the the big takeaway on that one.
0: Now you've you've written five books, so no one's better qualified than you, Terry, uh, to to talk about some of these things. So um, if we could just touch on the the informative versus persuasive, because I've heard a number of your really terrific presentations where you talk a lot about um, persuasiveness, so what do you mean specifically when you talk about being informative versus being persuasive? And how can people prepare to be better equipped in an interview or sales or presentation situation?
1: Yes, great question. So uh, my I understand the hesitancy that people have regarding uh, the word's persuasion or selling because it kind of conjures up, you know, some image of a dark feature or creature who is trying to manipulate somebody into doing something that they don't want to do. That really isn't our intention for those of us who proudly call ourselves business and sales professionals. Our responsibility is to craft a message that is compelling interesting, has great evidence, and inspires people to take action. And we do that by covering three key areas. That's case, creativity, and delivery. So as you know, and we talked about this a little bit on the first call, my background is in speech and debate. And what you learn in debate is that whether you win or lose a debate It's really based on how solid your argument was, how solid the evidence was, and how beautifully you illustrated that talking point. So the balance is going back to those three things. If in my heart, I feel like I've presented a very clean, logical case, and the individual who's listening says, you know, thank you so much for this information. Um, I really do feel like you've created some compelling ideas that I want to consider, then then I've done my job correctly. Now the the last piece of the puzzle is, of course, I want them to be just as excited that they've made the decision as I am about their making the decision. So uh, it should be a win win for all parties involved, and it shouldn't be you know kind of creepy or manipulative. So I think the first thing has to start with your mindset, what's your attitude, what is your belief system about crafting an elegant case? And then how can I uh, use interesting and dynamic illustrations and evidence to really bring that conversation? Life? And then how do we speak in our own authentic voice? You know, we're not robots, we're humans. and. You know, people often say, how do I create the perfect presentation? And the answer is, it doesn't have to be perfect to work. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I make mistakes all the time. Uh, But it's in that natural ability to just speak in your own authentic voice, be true to yourself and and strive to create a, a really beautiful connection that. You really can become a partner. You know, people say, "Well, you know, I'm a vendor partner," and I. There's a new phrase that I love. It's called a friender. When you're like a friend vendor, you're a friender. <laughs> and so that's kind of my mindset when I'm thinking about being much more persuasive rather than just informative.
0: I, I know we're laughing about that, but that's actually a really good takeaway. I think that would be a good thing for us all to think about. And again, we've all been in situations where we've uh, we've sloped out of a room having um, interviewed or. Uh, or being interviewed, or run a sales meeting, and uh, and kind of thought, oh, gosh, I hope that never happens to me again. Now, uh, you mentioned mis- mistakes, Terry. Does making a mistake matter? Because you know, you say there's no such thing as perfection. We don't want to be uh, perfect. I mean, it, you know, the the uh, the imperfections sometimes are quite endearing. But uh, it was very interesting the research you conducted in terms of the. The number of people who, to use that expression again, self-confess to reporting uh, issues around mistakes. Just share that with us, if you would.
1: Yeah, so this was really fun. So we asked 2,500 business and sales professionals, you know, does this even matter? Is it it a big deal? Does making a mistake really impact the outcome? And 94% of the participants reported feeling that making a presentation mistake has or probably has impacted moving a transaction forward or helping them to achieve their goal. So, you know, it's not like it's something that you can just throw off and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It is one of the things that you can control, and it absolutely impacts the outcome.
0: And of the 2,500 that you interviewed, how many is a percentage of those participants reported receiving, say, little or no presentation skills at any point during the process?
1: Yeah, so that, right, it's one of the most shocking um, elements in the study findings was, so we asked people, you know, okay, well, how much presentation skills training have you had over the course of your career? And over 60% of the participants said that they had had little to no training in presentation skills. Now, conversely, that had an excessive amount of information and training on industry knowledge or product information, but very little on how to then deliver that content as a result. So you can see that there's a real disconnect. And what we found later on was that the more presentation skills training people had the fewer mistakes that they felt that they made as a result so there is a direct correlation between consistently having training over the course of your career as a presenter just getting kind of like that product knowledge or industry training
0: i'm i'm thinking now about the number of times you know i've been in a meeting it's just 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 take a just a standard meeting as an example and the number of people as you say come in the kind of make it up as they go along. The number of people I've spoken to, Terry, have said, you know, over the course of an hour, most people set an hour as a as a meeting timeline. Over the course of an hour, if they were really honest, probably about 10 minutes of that was really productively well-spent time and the rest was just fluff or whatever other des- description they have of that time that just, you know, um, flows away with, with no real value. Um, what would you say to people? You know, can people legitimately go into an interview? Can they go into a sales presentation with with an agenda for an example can they have something written down should they rehearse something in their mind how would they best go about controlling the outcomes of some of these situations they find themselves in
1: Absolutely. And I think preparation is the key, but you can't go in with, you know, binders of data. So what I try to share with people, regardless of whether they're selling a product to service, a cause, or even themselves, is I'll say, imagine that when you walk out of that room, what are the three things, the three most important things that you want that individual to know before you walk out the door? And if you just write them down on a four by six card so that it triggers you to you know, you just carry in those little notes, it will remind you to say the things that you wanted to say. Because we've all done this. We've all walked out the door and thought, oh my gosh, I forgot to cover something. Or, oh shoot, I wish I would have said this. So, you know, being prepared ahead of time, knowing what you really want to convey. And the reason, one of the reasons that that happens is they'll say, well, I wanted to tell them that, but they never asked me that question. And again, remember, you are the presenter. It's your responsibility to communicate that data. They don't have ESP. They're not going to be able to pull it out of your head. And so some of your best assets, some of your best talking points are going to be the things that you want to leave behind in order to, you know, encourage that individual to either A, make a decision or B, at least be curious in next appointment time. And, you know, we over and over again, the, the real objective of a great presentation is not to close the deal, but to continue to advance the ball. You don't have to, you don't have to score on every play, just advance the ball. And then that's how you'll start to get little wins that, you know, basically accumulate to, uh, you know, kind of getting you where it is that you want to go. But there's lots of other things that, you know, can really cause you to, lose an opportunity and and some of those things came up in the study in regards to the other mistakes that have kind of popped in so we could talk about some of those too I'm
0: just about to ask you about the dirty dozen um so we'll <laughs> come to that in a second um in, in this in the modern world in which we live where it's so easy to avoid communicating effectively um let's just talk uh, you know we don't use the sandra 40 podcast as a platform to sell products on behalf of our guests but um, what typically would you do, Terry, to help people with their presentation skills? You know, do you have a, do you have a program? How do you go about it? Typically, what are you expecting to achieve, uh, in terms of results? Just tell us a little bit about the, the ways that you help people to improve on some of these, on some of these points. Mm,
1: gosh, thank you. Um, so, you know, the, I think the, the main book, or, or the most successful book over time, has been Small Message, Big Impact, because that really helps people to build a message regardless of length so if you have to give a three minute elevator speech or a 30 minute talk, you can use the structure in that book to you know, learn how to expand or contract your message uh, then think about the creativity and then work on the delivery so it's it's a down and dirty really um, inexpensive way to really start doing your own self-assessment. Of course after that if you want to do, you know, lecture-only programs or keynote addresses or any of those things, those are much more custom to meet the needs of the organization. So we we have... Very simple, very cost-efficient tools you can get off Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of the major bookstores. Uh, and you could just download that data. If you want to see the list of the entire research report, you can access that for free on our website at Chodine communicationscom And then there are spin-off books like you know Scrappy, uh, which are focused on how do you gain access to the most desirable listeners so that you can move that intention forward? And and again, those things all come to light. But for those people who are listening today, uh, how can you, if you are isolated or you're kind of working on your own or you just want to do your own self-improvement, then what I would encourage you to do is to Uh, do a role play scenario and put one of your presentations on videotape and really think about what it is you want to communicate and how you would prepare for a specific call meeting or interview, and then watch the playback. And as painful as it is, when you look at yourself, i through the lens of a listener's perspective. It will give you so many wonderful aha moments. You can make those little corrections and then you'll feel much more confident and competent as a result. You know, my number one request for people who say, Terry, what can I do? I'll say, don't wing it. Don't just wing it. Really think about it. Practice as tedious and annoying and difficult as that can be at times. Take the time to set up practice and prepare if you can use your your mobile phone to uh, kind of put on that video recording and uh, then watch your own playback it'll you'll be astounded at what you see you don't need to pay me you don't need to pay a professional on that first run you know once you identify what you want to fix then you can say hey this is what I found I'd like to fix in my presentations and then you can go into looking for a coach or a resource to to, to to support your kind of fixing those elements.
0: Well, just in case anyone is uh, wondering about your credentials, I did introduce you um, as an NSA Speaker Hall of Fame. And and I do ask for forgiveness for all those listening who do not know what the NSA is. Um, (laughs) Just tell us what the NSA stands for and what the Speaker Hall of Fame is because you're quite important, aren't you?
1: Oh God, I don't know about that, but it is. um, So the National Speakers Association is, an association of business and professional speakers who make their livelihood, uh, by speaking and presenting, whether it be small group, large group, or, you know, huge conferences and conventions. And, uh, we, you can onboard as a member of the national speakers association in an apprentice role for, I believe two years, if you really want to learn the business, but it's a place where we all go to share best practices and grow our platforms and, you know, really learn how to stay on the cutting edge of what's happening in the industry. There are, oh my gosh, thousands of members now from all over the world. They have international chapters that are now affiliated with the National Speakers Association, which is based in the US. And we have two uh, specific uh, awards that are recognized annually at the national convention. The first one is an earned designation, and that's the certified speaking professional designation which you really have to have to show that you've been consistent in the industry for over five years. You have outstanding reviews. And um, as a result, if somebody books you and they see that you have the CSP designation following your name, they can have a certain amount of confidence and trust that you are a competent and seasoned professional. And I know, Sandra, you have your CSP designation, so... That's an earned award, an earned designation through NSA. And then uh, second award is the uh, CPAE. That's the Council of Peers and Excellence Award. And that's kind of like the Oscar, if you will, of the speaking industry Uh, each year, five, somewhere between three and five. individuals are inducted into the National Speakers Association Speaker Hall of Fame. It is a lifetime achievement award. So it's not just for one specific year. Uh, it's for a body of work over uh, a consecutive number of years that basically says, you know, you serve as a mentor or guide and and you um, can maybe a. Uh, by your peers, it's your—it's a peer-to-peer recognition. So It's—I it's, think it's important because when your peers pick you for something, that's kind of a big deal. So I guess I, that's the big deal
0: part. Yeah, I, what we know now is that you tick the box, you check the box. So uh, okay, let's talk about the dirty dozen because all this amazing research um, turned what was a, the original nine presentation mistakes into something a bit more comprehensive. So tell us about the the others that we that we were missing before.
1: Right. So, if you consider that the uh, original research was completed in, you know, nineteen. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, two thousand one. Uh, so we completed the research um, in the end of the nineties and rolled into the two thousands. And then in two thousand one, we published the original data and then refreshed it um, in two thousand and six. And so things have changed significantly. But what we ultimately found was that. All nine of the original mistakes are still being committed uh, by business and sales professionals. And there were, rather than any of the mistakes kind of falling off, we actually added three new mistakes. Uh, the first one of the first ones was verbal missteps. So what do we mean by verbal missteps? This actually came up quite a bit. People said when people say things like um or ah or they pause, uh, that that became annoying. If uh, people mispronounced a word, if they misused a word, if they were swearing, believe it or not, in a presentation, that was considered very offensive. Uh, If they used a word in the wrong context, that was, again, uh, something that impacted credibility. So Uh, Working on one's vocabulary and the correct usage of words seems to be a real standout that nobody really likes to talk about, but definitely impacts your credibility as a presenter.
0: Wow. Uh, Does that include using the word like uh, every third word, which I hear in a lot of younger people these days and it drives me absolutely mad? (laughs) Yes.
1: Right. Anything where there was an excessive word redundancy. Uh, like, um, you know, uh, any of those kinds of things.
0: <laughs> um, so, for a, for a Gen Xer like me and you, uh, technology has always been a bit of a challenge. I know that's one of them as well.
1: That showed up, of course, on the list because technology and demonstration mishaps really didn't exist in the same way uh, almost twenty years ago, but if you don't know how to use your technology or you try to take on something that is really out of your competency, then you really should get support or an AV individual to kind of be a a, a second in command on your calls. Uh, So it's not that that you have to use something that's super sophisticated. The the issue was more that if you are, you wanna make sure that it works. But here's where it really made a difference. You can be in the middle of a presentation. You can have done all of the preparation ahead of time. You can have tested the materials and then Murphy's Law, things can still crash. So you weren't gonna get in as much trouble from the listener if your system just crashed. Where you get in trouble is if you don't have a backup or a plan B. Knowing that it could crash in the middle, how would you handle or pivot in that situation so that the presentation or opportunity still flowed beautifully and didn't kind of throw off the entire message as a result
0: very good advice very good advice and uh last one uh failure to create connection with listeners uh as i understand it from all the research that i read uh tell us a little bit about that one i mean i assume that's been around for millennia but um but you know you've probably recognized and articulated now as one of the 12 biggest sales presentation mistakes
1: Right, so uh, when we start to talk about creating connection, what people wanted was this sense of true authenticity. And as we started to dig a little bit deeper, uh, we said, oh, so the individuals maybe didn't take the time to do their homework, maybe they didn't develop rapport, and they would say, yes, and. So if you check the generic boxes, which are expected, right? We're expected to do a little homework before we walk into a meeting. We're supposed to do a little homework to do a needs analysis before we visit with a client or prospect. We are supposed to do our homework so that we can customize our presentations to meet the needs of the listener. Those things are expected. What this specific mistake relating to failure to create a connection is they would say things like, you know, the person seemed competent. I just didn't feel like I wanted to work with them. I didn't feel the connection. So you could actually be competent, but the listener didn't feel the magic. They didn't feel that, oh, I really liked them. I really want to work with them. I really connected with them. And so then we said, well, what little things could be done? You know, are you trying to if you're sitting in their office or if you're watching a uh, a Zoom call and you can see in the background that they have a specific piece of art? Is it calling out something that you see? Is it make a comment about their children or their kids? And they said, uh, you know, if, it, if it's too generic, it doesn't do the magic, but if you really did your homework, you did something a little special, you kind of went above and beyond the ordinary in order to earn their business, that was the thing that created the connection. It was um, not so much how much you know, it's how much you took what you knew and really showed a sensitivity and empathy and used analytics to craft a super engaging opportunity. It's um, it had a lot of different nuances, but it, it was no longer about kind of like going in and just checking the boxes. It was all those things that help you to create a connection that are above and beyond the ordinary that help you to stand out. All
0: right. So, uh, final question: the short time we have left, can I can I push you for a thirteenth mistake? Is is that <laughs> a thing? Can I, if I really push you, is there is there another one that you can? Let us in on your little secret.
1: Yeah, I really think that uh, there is a 13th mistake and it's failing to earn the right to be heard. So just because you have um, a university education, just because you work with a great company, just because you've been a top producer in your past, it doesn't give you the right to gain somebody's attention. You aren't entitled. Each and every opportunity, we have to still earn the right to be heard. So that's really where that scrappy data comes in. But I think if you really wanna separate yourself from the masses, uh, you want to kind of bring a sense of hustle and grit and scrappiness to every opportunity that says to that listener, that individual, uh, not only have I done my homework, but I'm willing to work harder and work smarter in order to be of service and not just for today, but for the long haul. And I think that that's the, that 13th mistake. It's really failing to earn the right to be heard and really, uh, expanding the opportunities because what you bring to the table is what separates, uh, the average from the status quo.
0: Brilliantly put. I want a what a lovely conclusion to this, uh, Part two. In fact, I'm now thinking there's going to have to be a part three because there's still so many things I'd like to talk to you about. Um, but just remind us, Terry. Um, how do we find out more about you? Um, just for those of you when you refer to uh, Shodin Communications, just to let people know it's it's spelled S J O D I N Communications. Is it uh, now? Remind me. Swedish origin. Yes. Yes,
1: Swedish orange, Yes, and um, you know, and I'd like to invite everyone if you would like a complimentary copy of this entire report, you can see all of the data, including. Uh, A lot more information, but of course, also the methodology. If you're curious about how we ran the study, uh, please go to the website at ShodineCommunications.com. And from the homepage, you'll see that there's a little uh, box that says, you know, share. Please uh, show me more information about the research study and it'll take you to a landing page and you can download it for, for free. My goal is to just help people take this information and help them get where they want to go. So I hope it can be of service.
0: I'm sure it will. And I can attest to the fact that it is an absolutely incredible piece of work because I've already downloaded it and I've read it uh, from end to end and it is well worth the read. So as as is, of course, people connecting with you to um, call on your expertise, Terry, for um, some of the things that I think many of us want to fix, but probably prior to this podcast chat, Uh, didn't really have a clue how to fix. So once again, on behalf of everyone listening and for me personally, thank you so much for joining us today on the Sandro Forte podcast. It's been absolutely terrific. I know why, and everyone now knows why uh, you've been asked to come back to speak to us for a second time, and I'm sure there will be a third. But in the meantime, uh, on behalf of everyone listening, uh, continued success, Terry, in all you do, and looking forward to catching up with you very soon.
1: No, well, thank you so much Sandra. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so so much.